Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Beko and my partner, Hari. Hello. Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, we are recording this episode when? Uh, towards the end of May. Um, I hope you guys are doing well. A lot of things are kind of coming above the surface uh, with the coronavirus kind of kind of uh, tapering down and economies opening up. I hope you guys are doing well uh, in your health and your professions and family and otherwise. Um, so let's get started with this episode. In this episode, we're going to we're going to be covering this company called Cummins. Hari, could you give us a disclaimer before we start? Yeah, this is the uh, Value Investor TV podcast. Uh, we are a podcast that helps you uh, understand the concepts behind value investing. We are not financial advisors. We don't know your specific financial situation. So if you are uh, making uh, financial decisions, please consult with the appropriate advisor uh, before doing so. Great. I hope you guys can notice that we have put uh, some effort into improving our audio. Uh, so Hari, he has a new microphone and I have a new setup so that we don't have a lot of background noise with the microphone. So ho hopefully uh, this will help you guys. Uh, you know, it might be hopefully it's easier on your ears. Yeah. And you'll you'll also notice that Beko has put in some time on uh, shaving his face. So uh, <laughs> he has uh, cleared up the uh, the coronavirus growth uh, and it's back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> exactly back to normal today is you know memorial day here in the u.s and it marks the first day of the summer i thought it's appropriate time to go back to normal uh and hopefully along with the economy and everything else um yeah we'll be we'll be back to normal so and if you'd like to see uh becko's nice smooth face you can check him out on youtube uh <laughs> if you're just yes listening. please do or or listen or uh either way <laughs> Anyway, all right, uh, so this company, Cummins, um, as always, we are going through a checklist. When we analyze companies, we go through a checklist. Um, and if you guys want access to our checklist, please email us at info at valueinvestor.org. Um, and if you would like access to our Slack channel, and that's where we discuss with our community, with our listeners, you guys, uh, various topics um, on economy, on Specifically, you know, specific questions on specific companies, anything in between. Uh, and if you guys like uh, would like access to our Slack channel, please email us at info, info at valueinvestor.org as well. Okay, great. So, Hari, should we get started with this company? Yeah. Um, so, as Becco mentioned, we go down our checklist. And on that checklist, we, uh, you know, we use that to systematically go through companies because if we don't, um, we are liable to get uh, off track or miss something. So we want to use that checklist and adhere to it as much as possible. Um, so that the first question on the list is what does the company do? Uh, you should be able to answer this question in less than two sentences. Okay. Uh, I'm going to try my best. This is my weak spot because there's so much content that I want to deliver. But uh, effectively, this company makes diesel engines and power generators. Was that clear enough? <laughs> Okay. Uh, so this company is based out of Indiana, uh, Columbus, Indiana. So a little bit more color on that. Um, Indiana, and they were founded quite a long time ago, almost 100 years ago, actually more than 100 years ago, in 1991. They 
I think this is important. I want to emphasize this part. They design, manufacture, distribute, and service. So all components of the entire value chain, they do all of it. Design, manufacture, distribute, and service. Diesel engine, uh, natural gas engine, electric and hybrid powertrains. Uh, they do fuel system, turbochargers, control systems, air handling systems, automated transmissions, uh, electrified power system, hydrogen generation, fuel cell products. These are the things that they, they produce, manufacture, and distribute. Um, so you can kind of see that they're kind of doing you know, several things uh, related to vehicle, uh, you know, related to power and things like that. But the main line of business is really diesel engine and power generation, so um, uh, generators, effectively. Um, I can provide a little bit more color on their footprint. So for example, um, you know, they, they operate out of 190 countries. So they're based out of US, but they operate all over the world. Um, and we can go into this a little bit more later, but they have five different operating segments. And as usually, you know, any companies, they'll divide their divisions and segments into business lines. And this company is not, not an exception, of course. And so they have five different operating segments. The first is, as I mentioned, engine. That's their primary business. They make diesel engines and otherwise related to engine. That's number one. Number two is distribution. So they have distribution sites where they will, you know, it's basically a retail outlet. It's a, it's a brick and mortar outlet where they will distribute their, their products. That's the second operating segment. The third operating segment is components. So anything that goes into the car or making a vehicle, they also make little component parts. So that's the third operating segment. The fourth is power system. Power system is, as I mentioned, these are generators uh, business. And then the last one is new power. Uh, in terms of material impact to the entire uh, entire corporation, new power is really tiny, but it's an up and it's an up and coming segment uh, that is really focused on um, you know new green, more you know more eco friendly kind of power. So you're talking about hybrid, you're talking about uh, electric things of that sort. So five different operating segments. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think we'll get more into the business as we uh, look at uh, some of the next questions on the list, because that'll help us kind of answer, um, you know, as we answer those, you'll have to fill in some of the details to help us. So uh, let's, let's actually start talking about the business and its competitive advantage. So one, do they have a competitive advantage? And if so, um, let's describe them based on these categories. Um, so, uh, do you think the brand, um, has a, a, a particular advantage? And what do we mean by that? We mean that if the, based on the brand name, the, you know, their service or, uh, or good will be picked over another, uh, competitor. Yeah. I think this question is an interesting one in the, in when you are talking about consumer business, right? Consumer business are, are a lot more swayed by the impact of a brand. Like for example, you can think about Nike or you know Apple, for example. They have a really strong brand and that is in of itself a very strong competitive advantage. When you're talking about more of a B2B business, I think that brand gets a little bit diluted in my opinion. And I think this is also the case. For example, you know their customers are not us consumers their customers are you know car car manufacturers truck manufacturers so for example 
really a big one is like uh, Daimler or Caterpillar or Volvo or F- Ford Motor Company, uh, you know, companies in that category. And I would say, you know, I would say from that perspective, they do stand out as kind of uh, premium class um, diesel engine. You know, they go back 100 years. They've been making diesel engines for a long time. Uh, they're really well known in the space. So I would say brand, brand, the impact of brand actually does contribute to their competitive advantage. But I wouldn't say that this is this is the thing that that they stand on to compete against other companies. Okay, um, <clears throat> let's look at the the next question, which um, is network effects. So a, a network effect is um, with a business do. Because uh, they have, you know, um, the presence of that business allows people to come to it. Um, And so that that the idea here is, um, for example, eBay, Uh, you know, the people go to look at eBay because there are sellers on eBay and sellers go to eBay because there are buyers on eBay. So, you know, are there any network effects that we see with the Cummins, uh, you know, uh, line of products? Yeah. I don't think so. Um, as you mentioned, I think network network effect is most predominantly exhibited by social media companies or any kind of marketplace companies, right? Where you have both the seller and buyer and they are in the middle allowing the transaction to happen. Like uh, I think a good example here, like you said, is eBay. Another one is Facebook. I think they kind of popularize this moat, this competitive advantage of network effect. There is uh, also like Visa, for example, they have a strong network effect. We talked about that in, in our previous podcast. And so net- network effect is really predominantly exhibited by companies that are playing in the platform space, the marketplace space. Cummins is not a platform player. They, you know, they produce diesel engines. Uh, when you buy a diesel engine, it doesn't make it more, when many more people buy it, it doesn't make it exponentially more valuable. Um, so I would say no here with network effect. Okay. Um, I mean, so one way, one other way that you could have a network effect is that because the, the Cummins brand is so popular, um, you know, the, you know, OEM shops, um, are more likely to carry their products. So you more are more likely to end up buying it. I mean, it's not a strong network effect, but you know, is, do you think that there is a potential there that, uh, because of their size, their history, their scope, um, you know, an- another way to think about it is, you know, in order for you, if you're, if you're going to buy a product and uh, you're going to need to get it serviced, which engines need servicing, you need a, a you know, a, a network of people who can actually do the servicing. So that if without that network, it would be difficult to uh you know, to, to have this product, right? So the way I'm thinking about it is, and I, I again, I'm not saying that this is a strong moat, but for those of, you know, since this is somewhat of an educational discussion too, right? If Becco and I were to start a diesel engine manufacturing business, right? We would need to have somebody to actually service those. If I'm, we're based in, you know, Texas, for example, somebody in California can't get their engine serviced. Well, then it, you know, they may not buy their product, right? Especially if this is for uh, a, um, a a major, um, you know, if you're in a commercial business that you need these things serviced all the time. So, you know, I, 
in my mind, there is some network effect there because there are people who are able to service the Cummins uh, product line and so on. Uh, and so, and, and that is a barrier to entry, although not necessarily the strongest one. I mean, do you agree, hmm. do you agree with that statement or do you think based on your reading that it's, it, that's not the case? Yeah, I think so. As I mentioned earlier on in the top of the episode, I talked about distribution as one of their oper- one of their operating segments, right? And they actually the distribution, the brick and mortar uh, business of, of Cummins, they bring in about eight billion a year. So, I mean, this is a sizable business that's that's all across the world, all across you know this this country and and, and other places that allows people to service uh, their their engines and you know their generators and and whatever they produce, right? So, from that standpoint, they do have a expansive network of service providers, right? The 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 aftermarket service providers, but I'm not I'm not quite sure how to think about that and think about our classic definition of network effect with Facebook, for example, right? I think when we think about network network effect, we really think about it from the perspective of as more people buy it, not from the company side, as the more consumers get into it, the value of what they're what they're purchasing goes up. Whereas I think with this, it's more of the company is providing all these different service layer across their 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 product that makes it you know more convenient for users to purchase these products so i think we're talking about a slight nuance difference where the the former one uh the one that we one that we kind of think about network effect in the light of social media companies and these kind of marketplace companies is one where as users you go in and you buy more of it therefore the the value of the product goes up i think in this case it's the company that that allows quote unquote network 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 effect to exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think you know for this company, this one may be more interesting uh, to discuss. Um, you know, do you think that they have a uh, a moat that is or competitive advantage based on switching cost? Yeah. So I think this one is a yes. Um, I think with any part, any kind of product producing component producing companies that are more that are upstream in the value chain and we talked about obviously uh, Cummins is one of those companies um, you talked about Allison transmission we talked about uh, before recording this episode you know they produce parts before it it becomes part of the final product that consumers produce uh, another one is say like Nvidia they produce parts that becomes computers uh, what else um, uh, there was one company. Oh, the um, there's the air, air the the airplane part manufacturer we talked about. Do you remember, Ari? Uh, I've uh, I, I know what you're talking about. I've forgotten the name yeah. now off the top of my yeah. head. Exactly. So I think anyway, th- those start of those types of companies that produce parts upstream from the the end product itself, if they can if they can if they can kind of wedge their wedge themselves in to the value chain and become sole provider or one of the one of the fewest providers that actually makes the make the thing and allow the manufacturer OEM vendors to produce the final product with your pro, with your product it becomes really, it becomes really difficult for them to rip out your product with with something else well, and i would say this 
Yeah, go ahead. No, no, I, I was just going to say that the, the main di distinction there is that, um, you know, there are a lot of businesses that are supplying OEMs and so forth, but the the value proposition is, and the, the distinction that has to be made is that the the actual product that they're supplying is not a commodity, right? In the case of NVIDIA, it's a highly differentiated GPU that, you know, you can only buy NVIDIA chips. You can buy it from many different manufacturers, but, uh, you know, for, from end manufacturers, but uh, NVIDIA is the, the only place that you can get, you know, the specific artificial intelligence, machine learning, et cetera, stuff. So, um, you know, in that light, is Cummins providing a commodity service or are they providing a commodity product or are they providing a, a product that is well differentiated that it would not be easy to just swap it out, right? Yeah. Before I answer that question, the company that we were just talking about, <laughs> it came to my mind, Transzyme. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Transzyme. I think they are a good example of the switching costs where they are really the only manufacturer for 80% of the parts that goes into an airplane. I mean, that's a big switching cost. Anyway, going back to your discussion, our discussion here with Cummins. Um, so the question of whether the thing that they produce is a commodity or not, um, I think um, from the standpoint of it being diesel engine, right, there's only really a few players that are making diesel engines. And I think they, they, they I, I think one of the key characteristics of a commoditized product is that the performance delta from one product to another really doesn't matter. So the performance is way above what users really demand. Therefore, other things matter. For example, convenience, uh, for example, reliability, for example, price. Whereas in this one, I think it is not quite a commodity because there is still the delta of performance between Cummins and some other diesel engine actually do matter because we're talking about more efficient diesel engine. We're talking about higher horsepower engine. So I wouldn't say what they produce is totally commoditized, but there is an element of commoditization here. I think we are, I mean, this industry is kind of heading towards that direction, in my opinion, because as these companies produce better and more fuel efficient engines, the delta between performance really is overshooting what customers demand in the market. And so I think we're going to see that um, in the future. But I would say right now, um, it's not it's not really a commodity, um, you know, with that with that nuance. OK, um, so let's uh, let's keep moving here. Uh, looking at the next category, um, do you think that they have a the ability to provide their good or service um, goods and services below the you know below cost of you know their competitors so do they have a low cost moat uh so i don't think so um you know i think uh, yeah they're not they're not really low cost provider um i think a good example of low cost provider we talked about is sketchers you know one of the companies that we talked about earlier on in our in our podcast journey um you know sketchers is a low cost provider Cummins really not really is is really doesn't really belong in this category in my opinion. Okay, and then the last one on our checklist is, um, do, does this company have any intangible assets that you would uh, consider 
for a competitive advantage? Yeah, I think, you know, when you talk about intangible assets, we always think about like patents and things like that. And Cummins explicitly said, you know, they in their 10K that they have a lot of patents, but here's exactly what they say. They say, the company doesn't believe that it is material to the business. So, you know, they have a lot of ta- patents, but they don't really think that it's it's material to the business. Uh, another thing that we talked about before recording this podcast, Hari, is the fact that they are in capital intensive business, right? Yep. We talked about several businesses that are in this category where just by the mere fact that they're in capital intensive business is a deterrent in and of itself from entrance coming into this market. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're trying to start a new business in that area, you know, it's becoming harder and harder to get capital for capital intensive businesses, right? When a venture group is going to be investing, they're going to put money into startups that are capital light. Um, so, you know, it, the financing for a business like this is, you know, if you were to start it today would have to come from, uh, you know, from from more traditional sources of, of funding, which may or may not be as interested in investing in something like this. And there's certainly, I mean, how do you compete with a business that has 100 years of history, right? It's very difficult to do that, right? Um, you know, when they have a fairly significant lead, you have to build up the patent portfolio, even though it's not necessarily, you still have to get the expertise and things like that to, to build it. So, um, you know, there there is an intangible asset there. It's just not something that we can measure. Um, you know, the 100-year history is, you know, domain knowledge and you know company knowledge that you you know we would put in there but again you know that's not necessary i mean think about this you know if you were to if you were amortizing these intangible assets for example their knowledge from 30 years ago of building diesel engines that they still use today on parts costs them zero, right? After it's been amortized away, right? But they still are utilizing that knowledge base. So money that they spent in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s is still valuable to them today uh, because of the type of business that they're in. So you have to compete with that, which is fairly difficult to do, right? So, you know, I, I think we're going to see here that they probably do have a fairly significant moat um, that they've translated into a, uh, a return on capital. So, Let's uh, yeah. let's keep going here. Um, I'm j- I'm just guessing, you know, from from everything you've told me, right? And th- mm-hmm. this is the fun thing about when you've done this enough, you can probably just guess what their return on equity will be, uh, just based on you know the business itself, uh, as uh, just as an exercise. Okay, um, <clears throat> I think we've kind of talked about this already, but um, let's get your official answer here. How durable is the competitive advantage? And what do you think the risks are um, to their uh, their competitive advantage? Yeah. So short answer, I think they have a pretty durable competitive advantage. Like you said, I think the intangible assets, you talked about the 100 years of history. I think that certainly contribute to this durability. When we talk about competitive advantage durability, I think that certainly is part of the equation. Uh, some of the risks that I want to I want to bring up in light in the you know in the face of coronavirus in the face of people talking about resilient uh, value chain resilient supply chain, this is something important to bring out, uh, which is that they have a lot of manufacturing entities that they have signed joint venture deals with in China, especially in Wuhan, um, which is interesting. So I'll give you some names here: Beijing Photon. And forgive me if I can't pronounce this 
correctly. Beijing Photon Cummins engine, uh, Dongfeng Cummins engine, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there, are, there are a few that is pretty big. So, I mean, I would say that's one of the risks. Um, another is, you know, one of the, one of the big risks with these with these manufacturers is that, yes, they have hundred years of history, but there's always this risk that companies downstream might just say, "Hell with this! I'm going to make my own diesel engine." You know, there's always you know that risk. I just wanted to point that out. It's you know, the 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 probability of that risk actually materializing is probably low because of as we mentioned, it takes huge amount of capital just to get the production line ready and the the you know entrenched tribal knowledge that is part of the company. It's hard to replicate that just like that. So, um, so I'd say it's it's a risk, but it's a fairly limited risk. Um, and then I would say one more thing, which is that you know diesel engine is is uh, is powerful. It's very it's very useful for certain things, but it does have a lot of environmental damage and with legislation being brought forth to limit uh, those environmental harm, it might cause some damage in the future. So I would say those are kind of the risks I wanted to highlight. But overall, competitive advantage durability-wise, I think they're pretty, you know, pretty well-equipped. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the environmental factor is probably the biggest risk, the biggest unknown risk, right, in that um, I, I think it's pretty unlikely that, you know, another manufacturer would you know, start building their own engines, but, um, you know, you may see them replaced by either electric vehicles that, uh, somebody else manufactures and Cummins doesn't have the best, or, uh, you know, you see the legislation kind of eliminate, um, the, their, their most efficient, you know, their, uh, their engines from being used. So, um, okay, let's, yeah. let's keep going here. Uh, what are the company's long-term prospects and runway for growth? Um, yeah, so I think this one really, as I think this one's kind of hard for me uh, to answer for a lot of these companies that are more upstream of the value chain. Like say, for example, like this company, I think is a good example here. Like the, the, the future prospect for this company depends really on the growth of diesel engine, diesel trucks, you know, diesel engine trucks and then generators at least because of the, the revenue mix of this company is heavily relied on these two segments, right? Diesel engine, the power generators, and also the, the service components of it. it. It does require on the industry downstream from them. And I just you know did a quick search on it. And um, with many caveats, with these kind of top-down research, you know, you can buy them for like thousands of dollars. You know, you can get just high numbers on them, but... The uh, compounded annual growth for diesel global diesel engine market is, is expected to grow at about 4.5 percent uh, every year until 2025. That's what they say. It's hard. It's really hard for me to verify this, but I think it's about right. Uh, it's not going to grow exponentially. It's not going to grow at 10 percent. I think it's going to grow at around that rate, uh, just a little bit above you know GDP growth. Um, so I think that just roughly makes sense. If you translate that number to what this means for the company, I think you know, long-term prospects, it's still you know, relatively decent in terms of the growth rate. It's not a dying industry, um, but it's not, you know, it's not like a, you know, the darlings of Wall Street right now of tech industry where they're growing at, I don't know, you know double digits. 
Um, so in terms of long, you know, in terms of long-term prospects and runway for growth, there's still certainly room for growth. Yeah. But sometimes the best growth is in the, in the businesses that nobody's paying attention to because you can buy it for cheap, you know? So uh, yeah. obviously we'll have to look at that when we get to the valuation, but um, let's, uh, let's keep moving on. Cause we're uh, running along on this, uh, on this, the first episode, uh, does a company require a lot of capital reinvestment um, to maintain its business uh, and can it grow without further reinvestment? And I think we've already kind of answered that um, with the capital intensive discussion, but you know, what are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think, yeah, just to, just, uh, I think this question is in a line with what we talked about earlier in that it is a capital intensive business. You're going to have a lot of R and D expense. There's going to be, uh, you know, depreciation, amortization. There's always going to be CapEx spending for property plant equipment and other things to make it more efficient. Um, if I can just give you a quick number on the capital expenditure, um, Capital expenditure in 2019 was around 750 million, and it was around 750 million last year as well, 2018. And it's always been around that area. It's always been around that. And if you want, if you want to put that into perspective in terms of that divided by net cash flow from operation, it's about 25 to 30 percent. I think it's more on the 30 percent. Um, so. You're talking about a you know a significant amount of capital reinvested into the business. Okay, um, let's uh, let's talk about the relationships that the company has with various parties, um, and I'm going to just give you the the list, and then you tell me if any of these throw up any red flags. So, uh, customers, suppliers, employees, or the regulatory uh, aspect. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm just going to point out a couple of things here. One is regulatory, and then the other is supplier. So I'll, I'll answer that in reverse. So supplier, uh, 19% of all of their materials are from a single source supplier. And I really want to bring this out because I think this supply chain issue has been in the limelight because of the coronavirus and the, you know, with the optimization for efficiency, we have kind of forgotten about thinking about resilience and i think this question is relevant to to us right now in that you know how do we think about supply chain when you have 19 percent of direct materials coming from a single source supplier and so just wanted to point that out um, as something to note um, in terms of regulatory uh, this is another thing i think you correctly pointed out hari that this could be the big unknown uh, for the future of this company and you can see in 10k that they have been uh, there has been some tussle with the regulatory in terms of the you know emission standards and things like that. So um, something to keep an eye on. I don't think you know there's nothing you know in the near horizon where it's going to be a killer for this company. But um, you never know with regulators, right? I mean, look at Boeing for example, or look at. I mean, it, it does. You need to pay a lot of attention to this. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as I can tell, not you know no huge red flag. Yeah, I mean, one one area that could be is that the the outright ban of things is usually not how regulators do things. It's typically what they'll do is they'll incrementally increase the cost and effectively damage the margin for the business, right? And I think that's that's the bigger risk here is that you know this company has a healthy margin, 
um, and it slowly gets eroded because they have to put more and more expensive things into their manufacturing process and eventually you know they can't pass those expenses on to the customer um, and so you know it ends up costing more and more money so uh, you know that 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 is where I see a bigger risk on the regulatory side than um, you an outright there won't be any more diesel engines it'll just become too expensive or the alternative will become cheaper uh, relatively because of uh, inflated cost for for the diesel side uh, yeah okay That's well great point well i think we're gonna run uh you know this this we're getting to to the end of our um the first part of our uh, discussion about uh cummins um did you have any more comments um about uh what we've talked about so far uh no not not really i think um you know we'll talk more about the business um you know the financials and management side of it on the second episode i uh, hope you guys enjoyed it um and hope you guys enjoy the quality of the audio hopefully it's better um so yeah that's it for me and um I, you know i, I just want to mention also that uh, we hadn't talked about this before but we we have a slack community where you can interact with becco and myself directly um message us talk to us about uh various questions that you have and also bring up um investment ideas um give us feedback on the podcast um you know, so if you're interested in getting onto our Slack community, send us an email, info at valueinvestor.org. Uh, and as Becco mentioned, you can also send us an email to uh, uh, get the checklist, give us uh, podcast ideas, uh, you know, what companies to talk about, uh, and so on. So we'd really like to hear from you if you can, uh, info at valueinvestor.org. Great. We'll talk to you guys in the next episode. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.